You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. I'm going to give a brief review on this. I had some scholars help me out last week, but I'm just going to go over this real quick. Uh, Repetition is a wonderful teacher. And this is bottom line for us. We've got to have these things. We've got to hold, be able to hold these things. Gone is the day, folks. Listen to me. Gone is the day that you go to church and then later on you don't even know what you got. Okay? Uh, you know, years past, churches I've been a part of, what'd you get today? Uh, sweaty? Or another one, sleepy? You know, we want to leave here blessed and empowered and equipped and carrying something with us, so to speak. Of some nuggets of truth of God's word. So we are in training. Everybody say, I'm in training. Which brings us to the first part here. There are a lot of things that we've been trying to do. That we're better off to be what? Training to do. And training involves. uh, Big word starts with C. Consistency. Otherwise it's not training. It's not training at all. if, If there's not some consistency to this. But training is what will make the difference. I was watching a television show with um, my 11-year-old Gabriel a couple of weeks ago. And it was called like Army of One or something like that. And they had like four or five guys. And they all have different backgrounds. And some of them had been like Navy SEALs. And then one guy was just a tough guy, bouncer at a bar or something or whatever. And I cannot tell you the difference between the guys that were trained and the guys that just had attitude. You know? Attitude's important, but the training is what makes the difference. Well, you've got to have something to train in. You know, I, I've, I have a trainer now, but I used to would go to the, uh, I'd have memberships at a, at a gym and I'd go and I didn't know what to do. Y'all ever been there? So you just kind of do what other people are doing. And not a lot of results. Leave frustrated and confused and everything else. So we've identified and are continued to identify what we call spiritual disciplines. And these are the things that make the difference. These are the things that we consistently train in and they will make a difference for us. I'll come back and I'll list those in just a moment. But as we consistently apply these spiritual disciplines, something happens in us. Change happens in us. It's not the goal, but it is a result. And we will be more, help me, happy. Stable, fruitful, and blessed. And, the, and again, it's not the goal, but it will happen. This is, these are results that will happen in us. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you in my own life and in lives of people that I know consistently are in training with these spiritual disciplines, they are a happier, more stable, fruitful, and blessed people. And so my job as your pastor is to call you to this and tell you how to do this. Because I don't know about you, but in my upbringing in church, we were always told, you need to do this. You need to do this. You should do this. And and here's my response. I'll try. Okay, because we knew we were supposed to. So what we're doing is we're turning a corner and taking a little extra time on this. This is week 15. Typically, I go about six weeks on a series to tell you not just that you should do this, but tell you how to. How to do these things and the result in your life will be that you will be more happy, more stable, more fruitful, more blessed. I did not say perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. 
Okay? And that we're headed in the right direction, doing the right things. As this whole process is taking place in our life, then, then we will be able to be, be a blessing which ultimately fulfills the big goal and the chief end of man, which is to glorify God. Amen? Everybody got that? We've got a quiz on Tuesday. All right. Let me go over quickly what the spiritual disciplines are, and then we're going to dive into ours for today. Uh, we looked at how to study the word. We spent some additional time on that on Wednesday nights even. Uh, we talked about prayer for a number of weeks. Solitude as a spiritual discipline. Fellowship as a spiritual discipline. Serving. And our words. We just spent three weeks on our words. And probably the big takeaway application of words was to make sure that you stay on the... Thank you. That you stay on the right side of the butt. Because your words, believing and speaking, causes your faith to be alive. And we are in the days where we must have our faith very, very alive. Okay. And staying on the right side of the butt is similar to to this. I have an umbrella, but it's raining outside. Okay, that's wrong side of the butt. So instead, it's like it's raining outside, but I have an umbrella. And, and don't negate the provision and the promise of God by getting that thing all mixed up and, and chiming in with a negative, negative world. Okay? Because we have an awesome God. Amen. All right. Well, today I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of stewardship. And stewardship is our most basic call. It does tie in with something we're doing today with impact, but I honestly did not really plan this out this way. I'm not that sharp. Uh, That God has kind of, you know, ordered our steps in this. There is a huge difference between stewardship and ownership. If you own the house, you're the owner. If you rent the house, you're a steward. If you're the steward renting the house, uh, Realistically, you can't paint the wall. You can't hang something on the wall without permission from the owner. If you're the owner, you can knock down the wall. There's a big, vast difference between ownership and stewardship. And we must realize that God is the owner and we are stewards. In in Psalm 24, verse 1, watch this. I'm going to read it slowly, clearly, deliberately, with emphasis. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. Let's make a list of everything. (laughs) The world and all its people belong to him. I want to read it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him in first corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 lest you exempt yourself here do you, don't you realize that your body everybody say my body your body is the temple of the holy spirit who lives in you and was given to you by god watch this you do not belong to yourself you do not belong to yourself For God bought you with a price. So who do you belong to? You belong to God. So you, because you belong to God and your body belongs to God, must honor God with your body. 
It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. You belong to God. You, including what we call T4 around here, your time, your talent, your treasure, your touch, it all belongs to God. Y'all with me? Now, everybody has something called stuff. How many of y'all have some stuff? How many of you got some pretty cool stuff? How many of you are concerned that maybe some, well, let me put it this way. How many of you have some junk? Yeah. Okay. How many of you are concerned that maybe some of your stuff is lost among your junk? Okay. Uh, that's why I don't like Alicia to try to clean out my armoire or some of my stuff. Cause she might confuse some of my stuff for junk. I feel pretty bold right now because what is stuff to one person may not be stuff to another person. You know, as a little boy, I always had stuff in my pockets. My pockets were what stuffed. And as a little boy, I had rubber bands. I had bottle cap, had a cool rock, had a cool coin. Had a little pocket knife, had magnifying glass, had some pretty awesome stuff. I'd fight you over my stuff. Girls had different stuff. I remember my girls when they were little, they had pretend makeup even, you know, and they would use it, you know, and they wouldn't do anything, but you know, just pretend, but it was their stuff. They'd beat up their brothers. So leave my stuff alone. Okay. So we all have stuff, right? And in our day, not only can you get stuff and a lot of stuff, there's stuff that will go with your stuff. And if you're going to have that, you better get the stuff that goes with it and a case and an extra this and that. And there's all kinds of accessories for our stuff. We really live in a stuff world, don't we? And then we buy stuff and we collect stuff and we trade stuff and we paint paint stuff and we dust it and we display it and we store it and we ride it and we insure it and then we die and now our stuff becomes somebody else's stuff y'all with me and yet we have such a hard time sharing or giving our stuff because it's mine this is my stuff. You with me? Yeah. And so we have a hard time with that. And then we die and our stuff becomes somebody else's stuff. You know, sometimes I've never been to one, but driven by and saw a sign before for estate sale. What is that? It means somebody's died and now it's their, it's their stuff. And people are pillaging through their stuff. I actually read an article a number of months back about uh, a man had passed away. He had some coins not necessarily of any real collector's value, but sentimental value meant so much that he'd gotten from his dad at certain points in his life that he had, and he passed on to his son. And then when his son passed away, his, uh, his young adult son 
came into his possession and within a half hour of getting them bought Mountain Dew. You know, and so what's so mine, my stuff, it's so valuable to me. You know, it's just heartbreaking. But you need to know this. All your stuff one day is going to be somebody else's stuff. If it makes it. Because some of our stuff breaks and rots and gets lost and stolen and everything else. And we're just so stuff oriented. And yet we have a hard time giving or sharing our stuff. But the truth is eventually one day it will all be given away. C.S. Lewis, uh, how many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis? Wonderful writer, incredible mind. One of his writings was the Screw Tape Letters. If you've not read it, it'd be a good read for you. And in the Screw Tape Letters, and it's it's a novel, and it's kind of a reverse morality here. If you can kind of follow, and he's he's a believer, he's a Christian. But in the Screw Tape Letters, there's a senior demon. His name is Uncle Screwtape. And he's writing letters to his nephew, whose name is Wormwood. And Wormwood is a junior demon. He's writing letters to tell him, get this, get this. He's writing letters to tell Wormwood how to ruin a Christian's life. How to destroy a Christian's life. And I'm going to read you just an excerpt, a part of this. Uncle Screwtape, senior demon, says to Wormwood, junior demon, he says... The sense of ownership, ownership in general is always to be encouraged among humans. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. And we must keep them doing so. And all the time the joke is that the word mine in its fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. In the long run, And and for the sake of the story here, remember, it's reversed. In the long run, our father, the devil, in this story, or the enemy, God, will say mine of each and everything that exists and especially of every man. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls, their bodies, and all their possessions really belong. But certainly, they do not belong to them. At present, the enemy, and remember the story, the enemy, God, says mine of everything based on the fact that he made it all. And our father, the devil in this story, hopes in the end to say mine of all things on the more realistic dynamic of conquest. Did you catch that? That one of the ways to ruin a person's life is to get them all caught up in ownership. Mine. There are marks and signals in the life of a child that you have to pay attention to. And when you see and hear certain things going on in a child's life, you know it's time or maybe almost past time to make sure that you do some some things, teach some things. One of those is when you hear a child start to say mine. When they start to say mine, it is time and you might even be a little bit late at that point to begin to teach them to give and to share. To give and to share. And a lot of us either never learned that lesson or we've relearned in another way because of the consumer culture that we live in. And everything is about ownership and it's mine and my stuff. And we've got to get this clear or our life is not going to balance right. We're going to end up on the wrong side of everything with this. If we confuse the issue of ownership and stewardship, it all belongs to God. In First Chronicles 29, we read of King David. 
and I don't have time to go into all about King David this morning. Um, we know a lot of the high points. Remember that he was the little shepherd boy and he came out and he, he killed Goliath. Y'all have heard about that. Okay. Uh, he killed Goliath and incredible story. I actually want to come back and show you some things in there that just to me are remarkable that I'm seeing in there. And that was a high point. And then another memorable thing though, was that he committed adultery and then set up uh, a murder after that. We remember that, but we remember that he repented. And then we remember that God said, he's a man after my own heart. And we remember a lot of things about this incredible, noble, anointed human King David. And King David uh, is at a place where he wants to build a temple for his God. And God says, I cannot have you. You are not going to build the temple because your hands have shed blood. And he said, because of that, you will not build the temple, but your son Solomon will. And Solomon will be anointed to do it, but you'll have part in it and that you're going to help him get plans and you're going to help him to get the resources. And so David gave himself to that. He wasn't offended at that. He said, because David understood ownership and stewardship. So he said, okay, this is what I'll do then. And in 1 Chronicles 29, 2, he says, using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. In the New King James, it says, with all my might, I have provided for the house of my God. It goes on to list the resources and supplies that David was able to uh, bring together. And I read about two years ago, somebody had kind of totaled it up in today's economy. And it would be worth about $17 billion that David was able to bring together. Mind you, he was the king. But he understood and he did something. And I like this. He said, using every resource at my command, I gathered as much as I could. With all my might, I have provided for the house of my God. And what he did, he did not have the attitude of, let's see how little I can do and not get mad at me. You married folks, try that. Okay. You just try, let's see how little I can do and stay married or how little I can do and keep my spouse happy. Let's just find it. I don't have to do a lot of kind words, kind deeds, anything. I, you know, let's find out how little I can do. And I would say, good luck to you. And you are in for a very bumpy ride. And then when it comes to God who owns everything, why is it that we want to see how little we can do? When it's all his anyway. It's all his anyway. Later in that same chapter, we read this. And we've got to understand, like David did right here, the difference, the vast difference between stewardship and ownership. It says this in verse 11 and 12. Watch this carefully. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all. Everybody say all. All that is in heaven. And implied all that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. And in your hand, watch this, in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great. And to give strength to all. Everything, get this, everything in heaven and earth. It's yours. I don't know. The last couple of years, I think virtually every morning I tell God that. Everything 
in heaven and earth is yours. And then I want you to get this. Note, 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 note. Get this. The King David, King David said this. And yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. The king said it's your kingdom. Every day I tell God and he knows. He knows what's his. Now a lot of people are walking around like they don't know. But he knows. He knows it's his. Y'all? But it does us good. And so, I mean, virtually every day I will tell God, I'm yours. Meadowbrook Church is not mine. It's yours. My wife is yours. My marriage is yours. My children, my family are yours. My house, this chair I'm sitting in, it's yours. You getting that overkill? No, it's liberating. It's energizing. It's a wonderful thing because God knows how to take care of what is his. But it does you good. Because the bottom line, the thing that you must know, the point of the whole book is God. He is God, nobody else. And it all belongs to him. And if life is going to work for you, you better get this boiled down and straightened out. He's the source. And in these days, he's our source. I am so glad to hear, so proud to hear that our president chose to declare what he declared this morning. And, and, and listen, and, the, and, and, you know, people are going to pick that apart. They're going to be anti-Christian people that pick that apart. There'll be other people that will say, well, he's just being political. He's catering to this or that. I say, shut up, everybody. I mean, hush up, everybody. <laughs> and realize that the word of God came out of the mouth of the president of this nation. And so, so I like it. I like it. It's all God's. It's all God's. And sometimes when things are in shorter supply, we feel like we have to protect it. How many of you have ever been eating a good candy bar before? And you're down to the last good bite. You have to eat things right, folks, okay? You don't eat with just a you don't finish anything with just a little tiny bite. You finish with a good bite. If it's a steak or a Snickers, you've got to end with a good bite. Can I get an amen out of anybody? Well, you're down to that last bite. This has happened to me numerous times. And one of your little kids walks up. And because it's in short supply, you, you do something like this. At least I did. No. Candy is not good for children. Right? And sometimes when things are in a little shorter supply, we, we get fearful. We, we, we want to hold back when we've got to realize at least three things that comes from this passage, okay? Everything in heaven and earth is God's. Kingdom is God's. The biggest thing in your life is God's. It belongs to him. And it says here in that passage I just read to you that everything belongs to God. Go ahead and say that with me. Everything belongs to God. Then also we see that everything comes from God. Every, say everything comes from God. 
And some of you might be saying, no, I've got a college education, a great work ethic. I'm highly charismatic, good looking, and uh, I made this happen. Survey says, everything comes from God. If you think for a minute that you earned your paycheck, let me ask you, what if God removed his mercy, his grace, his help? You wouldn't be able to find your way to work on day two. You wouldn't know how to put on your clothes on day one. Everything comes from God. And thirdly, everything is dispersed. Dispersed by God. It's God who gives. And you need to understand this, and I don't have time to develop this a whole lot. But not everybody has all the same things. Everybody is not equal in what they have. And follow this. Some for reasons and some for seasons. And what do we do? Just know that God is my source and it all belongs to him and be faithful and continue to grow. And don't get all warped out of shape and try to make everybody have the same thing. Because God set it up. that everything, God, everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is dispersed by God. And we need to understand that and just be stewards of what we have. Uh, Pastor Sean, come here a second. This is Pastor Sean. I love this guy. He's, he's our pastor that's over our next-gen ministries and doing a fabulous job. But we're not the same. God did not disperse the same for us. He's got the hair, but I got the height, baby. <laughs> now he could resent me. I could resent him. Or we could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. I have what I have by the grace of God. I'll use what I have by the grace of God. And I'm just talking about real frivolous stuff that really doesn't matter at all. It does not matter if you got hair or not. That doesn't matter one bit if people have hair or don't have hair. I mean, what's the big deal about hair? Height, that's enough. No, I'm just, I'm teasing. <laughs> but are you with me on this? Not everybody, it's obvious to us. Thank you, Pastor Sean. It's obvious to us that we all don't have the same things in our life for reasons and or for seasons. But it all comes down to this. It all belongs to God and I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. Everyone is a steward. Everyone is a steward. And as a steward, you handle and manage something with the goals of the one that it actually belongs to. Did you get that? When you're a steward, you handle and manage something with the goals in mind for the one to whom it really belongs to. And you'll be fierce in your tenacity about that. That this belongs to God and I'm going to use it right for God. If you went in to see a financial planner, a money manager, and, you, and let's just say for illustration purposes, it's your money. We know whose money it is. But you take it in, let's say you've got it in a little a little bag, or my grandpa used to have cigar boxes. He had a gas station, sold cigars, and he, had, he kept money in cigar boxes. And let's say you take that in and set that on the desk of the financial planner, the money manager, a steward. They should ask you this question. And what are your goals? What would you like to see happen? How do you want this invested? That's good because then you know you have a steward. But what if you went in and they said, we're so glad you brought this money in today because my wife has been wanting new living room furniture and there's this cruise we want to go on. 
I mean, you know, that, that is not a steward because this is what a steward is. A steward is one who says, what do you want to see done with what you entrusted to me? I want to say it again. What do you want to see done with what you entrusted to me? That's stewardship. And as a spiritual discipline in our life, we must give ourselves to stewardship. And it all starts and ends with this. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. And then the question on a daily basis, in a broad basis, and in a, in a very specific basis, what do you want to see me do with what you entrusted to me? And that's stewardship. Now, I want to shift gears. And that message stands alone. But now I want to tie it in with what we're doing with impact. And in all purity, please hear me. That message stands alone. But that message also speaks and informs us of what we're doing here today concerning impact. We gave you a card. And on the card, it talked about prayerfully considering. What does that mean, prayerfully considering? It means asking this question. What do you want to see done With what you entrusted to me. That's what that is. And as I've told you, I honestly, with all my heart, I believe that in the hands, God has already put in the hands of the Meadowbrook family, what it will take to accomplish this task. And we're going to accomplish this task. Each one of us has to do our part. And it's not on any one person to do it, but it is on all of us to do our part. It is on all of us to get before God, not find out how little we can do. But to simply ask the real owner, what would you like to see me do with what you've entrusted to me? And since it all belongs to him, comes from him, and is dispersed by him, he can provide. He can provide and he can make this whole thing work for you and for what we're doing and for the higher purposes of this as well. We don't just drift into generosity. We're called to generosity. Someone challenges us to be generous. And I'm doing that today. And look at me. I, look, I would look every one of you in the eyes if I could, but look at me and hear me on this. I have no problem standing in front of you today because this is not something frivolous. This is something that must be done so that people can be reached, so we can enhance what we're doing in here, and so that God can receive glory. This is not some frivolous anything. This is something that we as a body will do. It's going to create great momentum for the church. It's going to create blessing in your life. And it's going, to, it's going to be able to multiply what we're doing through visual media to multiply this, this message. So I'm calling you to generosity. To not have the attitude, how little can I give and get away with this? And, and say, yeah, I soothed my con- conscience. I participated somehow. I'm asking you to just separate this whole thing out and ask God, God, what would you like to see me do? David himself said this. He said, how can I give God that which costs me nothing? I think all of us should do something that we feel. Uh, Not just look under the chair and see if we see a a quarter. There, God provided, I'm in. I think it should be something that we feel. Because as we feel it, I think we're going to feel it all the way around. And this is about all of us making a difference. Now, we're going to do something little unusual, but actually it's not unusual at all. 152 times in, in the Bible, it says, bring an offering. And in the Hebrew, that bring involves motion. We make it super easy for you. 
You don't have to reach your arm out full length to get an envelope. And we send buckets past you and all that to do. But the Bible actually shows 152 times to bring an offering. So we're going to do something that we don't normally do. We did this about 12 years ago with with the offering that we did back then. But it's to stand up and come forward and do what God has put in your heart to do. And come forward and, and do this. Let me read you one verse on this. And then we're going to worship team. If you'll go ahead and join me up here. In First Chronicles 16 verse 29. It says this. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. How many of you would like to do your part on that? And it says. Bring your offering. And come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. And what we're going to do, and I know I've said this, but I believe this. How many of you like all the parts of your body to do what they should? How many of you do not like when part of your body says, I ain't doing nothing today? No, it's all the parts of it. That's healthy. That's healthy. And I've watched the healthy Meadowbrook family last night and this morning already as people participate in this. Listen, the burden is not on any one person. Just like the burden is not on any one part of your body at all works together. And I do believe with all my heart that God has, there's not pressure on you. There's not pressure on me. God has put in the hands of the Meadowbrook family, everything that it will take to accomplish this. But each of us must do our part. Uh, ushers, if you'll go ahead and we're going to set these vases up real quick. We're going to sing a song. Don't leave yet because once we finish, this will only take a couple minutes, but I want you to do it in this way. Okay. I want you to do this between you and God. I'm not going to be standing up here watching. I want you to say, this is what God has put in my heart. And I'm doing this as unto God. I'm doing this to help the work of this ministry. And I'm doing this to activate the promises of God in my life. And I want you to do it as unto the Lord. It's going to be a very powerful thing. We're going to sing while you do that. I've got a few things we're going to do before we close out this morning. But can I go ahead and have you stand? You respond as unto the Lord. And listen, real quick, if you're a guest with us today, listen, you're our guest. You don't, you don't have to do this. I would never expect that of you. If, if it's in your heart to do something, God bless you for doing it. But if you're our guest, you know, I would not impose this upon you. But the family of Meadowbrook... Let's do what the Lord, who owns it all, what he's put in our hearts to do. God bless you as you do this.
ask you to do something a little, little different, maybe even strange for some of you, but we already done some strange things today. I want you to just think ahead with the eye of faith. This is a six week endeavor. I want you to try to project a little bit in your thoughts six weeks from now, or maybe a little sooner when I'm able to come back and tell you that the goal has been met and we've been able to do it. Can we go ahead and can we go ahead and do a practice rejoice? Let it feel just like that would feel. That's what faith does. We're going to do this thing by faith. Amen. Now listen, I know we're in some tough times and different things like that, but God knows that. And it all belongs to him, comes from him, dispersed by him. And all you have to do is what he showed you to do. And let's do that over these, over these next few weeks. And watch what God will do in our midst and in your life. And as a result of, of all of that, I can't give you any promises. I told you that earlier. But I can give you God's promise. Sometimes on Christian television, they give you promises that aren't theirs to give. You can give them the next 15 minutes and somebody's going to paint your house for free this week. And you can get new, two new puppies or, or whatever. You know, I have no promises that I can give you except God's promise. And I read it to you earlier and it's this. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will men pour into your lap. That's God's promise, and God will watch over his word to perform it because we've done this in the right way. Amen? Amen. Um, I just want to share with you, too, I really, the last week or so, I've been a little scared about this. I was in a conference this past week up in South Carolina, and one of the speakers, I really respect him, he had given this huge initiatives that they were going to do as a church they have multiple campuses. They were going to be building buildings. He got everybody all fired up. Ah, oh, we're going to do it. And they all cheered. And then he went home and got afraid. I've done that. And he said this, but you know, sometimes as a leader, if you don't get afraid, probably not leading in faith. If it's something that me and my wife and two or more of you could do that, that wouldn't take any faith at all. But to get all of us, and I tell you what, my heart has been heartened and encouraged and energized by your wonderful response. And uh, God's going to get us all the way. He'll get us all the way through on this thing. Amen. Amen.